All right. Uh, welcome to episode 30 of the Apex Vaulting Podcast. I've got Robert Plum on with me again. Up, He's one of the high school kids from the club. Um, he's going to tell us a little bit more about maybe his experience as a high school athlete. Um, also, though, what I want to start off with, because I've been getting a lot of questions about it, is DJ's mid-chart. Um, so if we can get the camera in close over here so that people can see this. Um, when you look at the mid-chart, there's two red highlighted sections also, if you're interested, make sure you email me at apexvaulting at gmail.com or DM me or whatever, and I can send you the mid-chart. There's a hand grip section, and then there's a mid-mark or six-stride mark. That's the mid-mark section. They go along with the hand grips, and then it also tells you what bar you clear. So, for example, um, and this is also being put on YouTube, so anybody who wants to see the visual of this, you can see it on YouTube. Um, 810 grip, and I usually fudge it a little bit. So 9 foot grip, you should be at 30 feet for your mid, and you should be able to clear 6-6. Six, six. Um, now, if I have someone running from a 3, I'll have them start their run from 30 feet, because you have 3 more left to the box, um, with 9 foot grip, okay? All the way down, let's shoot to 12. If someone's gripping 12, right, they'll run from 40. Now, to be honest, I always talk about the two factors for sprinting speed, and the two factors are stride frequency times stride length, okay? So a lot of my athletes tend to be a, a, a little bit further out at the mid. So for example, going back to the mid chart, it says for 12-foot grip you should hit 40. Most of my, my people gripping 12 are probably hitting a 42, 43-foot mid, Okay. Um, also, what I really love about this mid-chart, with the bar height, let's look at 12. It says 12-foot grip, you should jump 11.6. So you should be able to push two inches above your grip because when you subtract the – or no. Yeah, when you subtract the eight inches, inches, yeah, it'll, still be, it'll two be two inch push, okay? And if you notice, then you get to 12.10, which whatever I fudge it to 13, you should be able to clear 13. That's eight-inch push. I always like to think about this as like, this is the bare minimum. If you're using the mid chart and trying to gauge your efficiency, you should at least hit what the mid chart says, if not better. Like for example, Rob, who's here with us, he's gripped 11.9, right? This is 11.8. It says you should be able to jump 11. He's jumped 12.6, right? So he's way more efficient than the chart, which that also tells us that Rob's got to work on whatever deficiencies he has to increase like his speed. grip. Yeah, well, for him, it's, it's, it's his runway speed. Um, this will be the end of the, the YouTube portion, but make sure to listen to the rest of the podcast if you're interested uh, on iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, but yeah, so looking at the mid-chart... I, I cut the video. Yeah, okay. yeah. So looking at the mid-chart, you know, Rob, we can see how someone can use this to set up you know, where they start their threes from. Yeah. Um, I think they can also see kind of where the efficiency is. But again, I just want to make it clear for everybody. We don't really, we're not on top of the mids. Like when, when you had 11.9 grip, it says over here that you should, you should hit 39 mid. I'm pretty sure and you're like hitting, a 43, 44. Yeah, 43 mid. Yeah. So you, de you definitely, I think, need to move further back if you're opening up your run. Yeah. Um, a lot of people also ask, in regards to the mid, how we set up training. You know, how do we set up training with the mid marks? Well, again, like we were saying with you, you're really way more efficient than the chart. 
Right. Like you, you have eleven nine grip. The chart says you should you should jump eleven, and you've jumped twelve six. So we know for you, you've got to work on your speed. You've got to work on your runway so you can increase your grip. Also right, work exactly. on jumping ability, right? Yeah, and take off and all that where, stuff. Where there could be other people. Where let's say you you have a guy gripping thirteen and he's jumping twelve. Well, mm-hmm. now you know you've got to work on efficiency instead. Right, or like strength through the middle of the jump or something like that. Right, right. And and look, it's all these issues, you know, and, and I, I really want people to wrap their heads around this idea is all issues in the vault either are physical, technical, or, yeah, sure, there's a, a mental component of it. But, you know, you've got to look at those technical and physical limitations. So if, if this kid is not efficient on the pole, is it something technical that can be addressed? Or is maybe this kid's upper body too weak and they need right. to do pull-ups? Exactly. Um, then, as far as, you know, the mid mark, I can track someone's progress and how fast they're getting. Like, if the mids keep moving further back, that means they're increasing their speed. If their mids are creeping up very close... They're slowing down. That means something's wrong with training. Um, and I, you know, at the club, we use a lot of deadlifts, box squats, single leg squats. Um, we'll do box jumps, you know, to increase speed. And we periodize it. You know, we go, we go through a season. We'll peak at the end where we're doing li- uh, less reps, higher weights, higher intensity. In the beginning of the season, we'll try to build a little bit of a base. We'll do higher reps. Um, and build you up. Also, I think, especially with high school kids, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, doing a little bit more uh, volume because you guys are learning the movements and right, yeah, it helps like you guys muscle add memory. muscle mass yeah, too. Muscle well, muscle mass. I don't know about muscle memory, <laughs> but um, but you know, again, I, I mean, just to finish off, I think the mid chart one. It's a really good spot to start your threes from. So, like the mid-chart says, for 9-foot grip, you run from 30. That's awesome. I think that's pretty spot on. I think when you use the mids as far as someone going back to a 5, 6, 7 left, um, for a 5, you'd be catching their second left, a 6, a 3, and 7, you know, a fourth left. Um, I think the mids are going to be further out, especially if you're trying to develop a nice open uh, run where you have big strides, not short, choppy strides. Um and then what you need to do as a coach is find the workouts, exercises, and periodization that allows you guys to move the mids further back, which will add more grip and add more speed to the runway and into the jump. Right. Um, now, Rob, I wanted to bring up a bunch of topics. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I talked about with the winders on the podcast is the fact that when you know, they have this idea of if you get stood up, you got worse. It, or if, I'm sorry, if you run through, you got worse. If you got stood up, you stayed the same. You stayed the same. And if you took a full jump, you got better. And right. at the end of practice, you got to tally up all those and you decide whether you got better or worse. So for mm-hmm. example, if you took 10 jumps and you ran through seven times, got stood up twice and then took a full jump once, you got way worse at way the end worse. of that practice. Um, what are your impressions as a high school athlete when talking to other athletes or high school practice? Like, what what is the norm? What is going on out there? Well, I mean, it's almost different for everyone because I've talked to, like, other teams, per se. Yeah. And other teams don't to, – because I try to teach the, our kids kind of the way uh, Apex runs it. And we're usually pretty consistent. But, like, I've talked to, like, other local high schools – 
And I've talked to kids how they've just said, like, openly how, like, yeah, I was trying to get on this pole or whatnot and just got stood up the entire practice, got a couple, maybe, like, one or two full jumps in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, did you really, like, have a successful practice? And then they end up going back down to the pole at the meet or whatever. So, like, was it really worth it at the end of the day? Well, well, how about, you know, and you bring up a good topic, you know, did you have a successful practice? And I guess... What we have to start talking about in the pole vault a little bit more openly and a little bit more honestly is what is success in the pole vault and what is failure in the pole vault? Because I think a lot of people, you know, hang their hat on one jump. You know, oh, I had a successful season because I PR'd, I had that one meet, I bust out, I had a really big day. But the rest of the season was filled with no heights and subpar performances, well, was that successful? And and going back to practice, mm-hmm. you know, if you're spending half your practice just getting stood up because you're trying to get on a pole, was that a successful practice, you know? Especially if it doesn't end up being a pole you end up using at a meter in, or ever anyway. Like, what's what was the point of getting stood up that entire practice? It, like, you could, you're putting yourself at, in harm's way of potentially getting hurt and, like... Sure. So yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think, you know, risk-reward. You know, what's the risk reward factor there? And you bring up a good point there. It's like if you're wasting a lot of time getting stood up at practice, well, you're more likely to get hurt. Yeah. You know, whereas if you're doing full jumps landing in the middle of the pit, I mean, you're, you're in a safe spot. Right. Um, I, th- I think even, you know, how about this? You, you spend all practice trying to get on the pole and then you get to the meet and you blow through it. Are, right, and then are what, you supposed to not go up a pole? Yeah, you, are you supposed to you grip down to make it stiffer, or like are you trying to like? Right, I mean, so now, I mean, you even bring up like there's a lot of like fallacies, you know, in the vault too. I mean, uh, you know, does gripping down make the pole stiffer? Uh, you know, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's going to be people that say they've you know flexed the poles at different levels and it affects the stiffness. And sure, but here's the thing. The higher you grip, the further out you have to jump from. That's a lot tougher to manage. I mean, basically, when you grip up, you're you're basically asking for a longer long jump. Yeah. You know, exactly. I think always stiffness is a little bit easier to handle than grip. You know, and th- this is just something that after watching, you know, well over a thousand vaulters, coaching well over a thousand vaulters, watching countless jumps, you know, I, I can't even imagine how many jumps I watch in a year, but it's like when you watch this happening, again, you have to look at pole speed. You have to look at the swing of the vaulter, you know, the speed of the swing. Should you go up a grip, down a grip, keep it the same? Should you go up a pole, down a pole, keep it the same? Those are your choices, mm-hmm. and I feel like people aren't managing the variables very often. I mean, like, what what are some of the things that you notice, you know, whether it be at practice, at meets, that, you know, have you do a double take? Well, yeah, there's, like, other times where, like, kids at meets will end up either getting, like, stood up or something, and then they'll hang their head on how the pole bent so well on that jump or whatever, and they're saying how, like, like I just need to push more into the pit, Whatever the technique is, that's fine. But what I'm saying is if you get stood up, it's not... Or if you land shallow. Or if you land shallow. Like, one, you have no chance of clearing a bar. There's no... Right. You can't clear a bar if you land shallow or in the box. And two, was it really a successful jump just because, you know, you hit one position or you bent the pole a lot? 
Well, yeah, I, you know, again, I, I feel like maybe we're going too fast and I hope people are following the conversation, but, you know, people are, need to understand what is success, what is failure. If you're not getting into the pit, I'm sorry. That's a failure. Yeah. That's getting, a failure. Getting stood up is, yeah. Or, la- or landing shallow, dangerously landing, shallow. Yeah. That's, that's a failure. You know, and I remember one time, uh, it was the first time one of my athletes, Craig Van Leeuwen, whose lifetime best is five, five meters 40, which is 17, eight and a half. Um, the first day he jumped 17, right? He was on a 16, five, 195, gripping 15, six, 15, nine. And he, he ended up jumping 17, five that day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, towards the end of the meet, he had just cleared 17, five. He's getting a little bit tired. The pole speed is slowing down. He's, he's landing a little bit shallow. And I had a coach, a Division I college coach, come up to me during the meet, and he said to me, well, you know, I think that pole's a little bit soft. You guys should go up. Now, the, I think like you said, Rob, he watched the pole bend, and right. he's like, wow, that's bending a lot. Yeah, you can't. It's Except, bending too much. Yeah, but it's like... He's not getting into the pit. If I go up a pole, he's not going to get. He's not going to get deeper. He's going to land more shallow because we're adding resistance. And you know these these are things that people are not looking at because they're looking at things that that are a byproduct, right, of what's happening in the vault, like the pole bending. That's a byproduct. Your runway speed and your mass, like Sergey Bubka said a long time ago, your run your runway speed and your mass. Create the pole bend. Exactly. I mean, one of the things that I always talk about, Rob, is if you take a competition pole for yourself and you put it against a wall and you push on it with your bottom arm, you will only get it to bend minimally. Like, exactly. Like, yeah, well, very, very little. So it's You're, not your bottom arm that's bending the pole. Right. The bottom arm is not bending the pole regardless. And so if you think about it, why, why is that the focus? And then people watch at the pole. They're, they're literally trying to get young athletes who are learning to vault to try to bend the pole when the focus should be learning how to move the pole and, and how to pit. swing right. on the pole, right? Exactly. You, you need those two factors. Is the pole moving? Is the vaulter moving? Mm-hmm. You know, th- those are the critical factors. I mean, what, what have you noticed? Like when you go to meets and stuff like that, what, what do you think people are focused on? What, what are some of the cues that you've heard or the adjustments? Like, yeah. w- what's going on? Well, there are some, there are some people that focus on either or. Like they'll, some people will focus on pole speed. Some people will focus on the pole, uh, the vaulter moving in the, the swing, the, yeah. The swing or, and they'll say how you need to, like for someone that focuses on swing, they'll say you need to swing up faster, you need to swing up faster, or you need to like hit this position to, right, right, to right. be able to get upside down. And then they're and then And they're not watching the pole speed. Right. And they'll end up getting stood up or not yeah. landing in the pit. And then there's other people that focus on too much on pole speed and don't think about resistance at all and they blow through every single jump. And they, uh, and then they have no chance of clearing the bar. Right. Or, or even they're, they're focusing on that pull speed so much, but they're not focusing on the swing speed and those kids just aren't efficient. Exactly. You know, they, you'll see kids, you know, top level kids who can't even push eight inches or like sit going over the bar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you, especially on the girl side, you see so many people that they actually don't turn until they're over the bar. You know, and so to me, it's like, what is that worth? You know, right. and then meanwhile, it's like just this past weekend, you know, we had a high school sophomore, Owen Fogarty. 
He just PR jumped 14. He was gripping 13.3, so he had 17-inch push. And then he almost made 15 feet with, with like 13.4, 13.5 grip, so roughly 27-inch push. You know, and yet I see guys jumping at 14 feet gripping 14. Or, so they're trying 18-inch push. Or I mean, 8-inch push, sorry. But here's my thing. That's fine. That's all well and good. But when you are not thinking about pull speed and speed of the jump, you're always going to fall into these inefficiencies. You right. Know? Correct. Yeah. So I think like a lot of vaulters need to, or a lot of coaches, I should say, need to try to focus on both at the same time because either way it's going to lead to the vaulter not being able to either clear the next bar, be efficient on the pole, or even move the pole at all. If yeah. they're not focusing on both. Right. And so l- let me ask you this, right? Um, well, even here's the thing. Go- going back to mid-marks, because mm-hmm. watching pole speed, watching the swing of the jump, using mid-marks, these are all tools for a coach. Yeah. And I feel like that's the thing that's a little bit forgotten in all of this yeah. is that I, I think sometimes, uh, you know, I hate to say it this way, but sometimes people get religious or they choose a team, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I don't use mid-marks. Right. Well, th- that's okay, but they exist. Yeah, mid-marks they are, are real. They are a thing. They are a thing, and, and if you use them, they're just a tool to help you coach, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're if not, not going to hurt you. Right. It's not going to hurt. Po- watching pole speed. That's not going to hurt you. No. Adjusting grip and, and pole stiffness according to pole speed is not going to have a negative impact on your coaching. You know, watching, you know, the swing of the vaulter and tracking efficiency. This is not going to hurt you. It just gives you another p- a data point that can help you coach your athletes. But unfortunately, I feel like, you know, if you're that guy, I, I you know, I had someone tell me one time, oh, all you ever want to do is talk about numbers. Well, numbers don't lie. Exactly. Right? It's, it's kind of like weightlifters have this, uh, saying, uh, the iron never lies. Mm-hmm. Meaning the weight on the bar is the weight on the bar. Yeah. Either you could deadlift 500 pounds or you can't deadlift 500 pounds. You can't lie. Yeah. You it's, know, it's exact. It's not going to change. Right. And so I, I, I feel like people need to stop being so religious or so, uh, you know, uh, team oriented with this, like, well, I don't like mid marks. You could not like them, but again, they're just a tool. Yeah, they're There's just something there to that help helps. You. I mean, heck, look, I, I've had situations where because of the meet I'm at, I don't have a good vantage point. I can't use mids. Mm-hmm. I still coach. I mean, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't go, Hey, let's pack up. I got to go home. I can't <laughs> coach today. I, I think also something that I wanted to bring up today is look, I, you know, I went full-time with Apex in 2010. I started the club in 2007. It's now 2018. Um, like I said, I've, I have the experience of coaching over a 1,000 people. Um, I What I know now isn't what I knew back then. Yeah. You know? yeah. And when I first started out, look, I made mistakes. I mean, before I ever used the mid-chart, I, I had this girl, Casey. She was my first uh, – one of my first nine-foot girls. Right. And she jumped nine very early outdoor season, like first or second meet, and everything was going well. And and you know I, all I did was catch takeoff, mm-hmm. which I'm sure oh, you yeah. noticed that all coaches they always catch takeoff, always takeoff. And I, and I'll get into why that's not a great idea. But I was catching takeoff, and she'd be a little tight, so I'd send her back a half. Mm-hmm. She'd be a little tight, I send her back a half. 
She'd be a little tight. I sent her back a half. And Before pretty you soon, knew it, she was doing a seven instead of a well, six. Well, yeah. She was way out, and she would run through or get stood up because now she's overstriding. She has no runway speed. Yeah. And once I started using mids, that that ended that because that girl ended up jumping nine first, second meet. By the end of outdoors, she was no hiding. Mm-hmm. Then I started implementing the mids. We never had that issue again. Right. And what the mid allowed me to do is view the, the runway differently. And I understand there's some people out there that are like, oh, I see the run. And that's great, but especially for beginner coaches, I think the mid would make it easier for you to see the yeah, run. Yeah, again, it's just an implement. Yeah. And even for the more experienced coach, I think, again, the mid gives you uh, another data point. I think also, and I've talked about this on the podcast, your takeoff point is not going to change dramatically within a season. If it changes a foot, that's amazing. A mid mark can change three, four feet sometimes within a season, which that gives you more of an idea. There's more variance there. Yeah, you could see from me to me how much faster how the, correct. the pole vaulter is getting. Right. And so it's like that's the thing. It's like instead of being so dogmatic and being like, well, I don't use mid marks. Think about it as a tool. It's not like you're, oh, man, I'm choosing the opposite team. No, it's just a tool that's available. Yeah. It, you know? Like, are you going to hit a uh, hit a nail in with a screwdriver? Right. Yeah. That's like, you can't be team screwdriver in that situation. <laughs> you should use a hammer. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's one of the things out there that people are so hesitant to consider or think about some of these ideas. Mm-hmm. And... I don't really understand the angle. I mean, even today we were talking about um, you saw something like Mondo Duplantis posted something on Instagram and Sam Kendricks chimed in. And then this kid asked, you know, why are professional pole vaulters so inconsistent? Mm-hmm. And people attacked the kid. Yeah. And so I, I commented back. I said, hey, I think it's a fair question. Mm-hmm. I think Sam is one of the more consistent guys. Yeah. And I asked Sam, I said, why, why do you think you're so consistent? Why aren't the other guys as consistent? Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of I kind of criticized one of the guys that, that was nasty to the kid. I said, look, that's a fair question. Mm-hmm. And if we're not if not, we're not willing in the pole vault community to start answering some of these questions. How can we expect to have more fans? No, exactly. You know? I mean, how do, how do you feel as a high school kid as far as, like, you know, look, you're at this club, so, you know, we put out yeah, a lot around, of con- yeah, content. Yeah, a lot. But how do you feel, like, when you look outside of the club, like, how much content is out there? Have you run into anybody on social media that has information out there or is willing to help? Well, I mean, I've seen a couple, like, Instagram accounts that offer, like, minimum the bare minimum i guess they tell you what maybe what the bungee's at maybe what they grip maybe right but there's a lot of people out there that's like oh good day jumping today and then they so show a jump Mm -hmm. and it's not and there's nothing on the video like it just it confuses me on like how are we supposed to gauge what like how are pole vaulters supposed to gauge what they should be doing or where they should be at if no content's out on what other pole vaulters are at. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely I agree with that. And that's something that, you know, we talked on the last podcast episode um, with Hayden uh, from Louisiana. And, I mean, it's just, yeah, there's just not a lot of content out there. The The other thing that I feel strongly about is, you know, maybe you could chime in on this. I think a lot of coaches give lip service yeah. You know, a lot of people give lip service mm-hmm. to things. Like, they'll say, okay, a pole vaulter has to jump up. But how? But how? Right. How? And so, 
you know, what are, you know, do you feel there's enough people out there putting out drills? Uh, you know, what kind of drills do you see out there and do they connect with the actual vault or do you see discrepancies? I mean, well, there, there are some drills that definitely are like almost disconnected. They show like a drill of someone per se, like swinging on a rope per se. And like it shows the invert and that's a great way to get inverted. Like, that's fine. But it also shows a drill, like a press drill, where they'd be extended all the way out. Right, right, right. With their left arm and all that. And that's fine. It's just like, how am I supposed to get from a press to so now that rope to, swing? To the rope. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I agree. And, you know, I think tonight, actually, I'll be commenting on, on someone's uh, video because we're going a little bit back and forth. And I actually love it. It's a nice open conversation. But a lot of times you get met with a little bit of animosity, you know, but I agree. I think the rope drill is actually awesome. That's mm-hmm. how you get inverted on the pole. Yeah. And yet then people go, oh, wait, but don't pull. Right. You know, and, and I don't know how often I've mentioned it on the podcast, but it's like we talk about pulling with the bottom arm here. And I think some people misconstrue it as collapsing. Yeah. We're not trying to hug on the pole. We're pulling our hips above our hands, yeah. right, with the bottom arm only. And it gets us into this handstand position where I'm telling you, like, by and large at our club, like, everybody's beating the chart. I mean, even even some of our kids that are not super, super studly, like, I, I've had plenty of girls where on the chart it says 9-9 nine, nine grip, you're supposed to jump 8, I'll get girls to jump 8-6-9, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, 10-3 grip says 8-6, plenty of those girls have jumped 9-9-6, nine, nine, even 10, you know? Um, so... That's why, and also, the pole speed it generates is yeah, exactly. much, much superior. It's just Whereas smoother. as soon as you hit a pole and try to like bend it and you lock out, everything stops at takeoff, and I don't think people think past takeoff enough. Yeah, well, and also, like, if you think about it, if you're extending your arm straight out in front of you or straight up in front of you, where all of your mass or your body weight is all ben- below or behind where the bar right. is. Whereas if you pull your hips above you or in front of you, yeah. you're moving your body weight in front of the Right. I mean, box. look, the quickest way from point A to point B is in a straight, straight line, line, you know? Um, and, I, and I think, look, if, efficiency is huge. I, I've brought this up time and again, but I know too many people that they don't know the professional numbers. Like, for example, Katarina Stefaniti, who's been on the podcast, she grips 14 feet to jump 16 feet. What's the mid-chart say about that? Um, the mid-chart says 15 feet, right? So she's way ahead of the chart. Right. And so here's the thing. It's like I know there's plenty of open competitor females who grip 14 and are jumping a foot or more under 16. Yeah. You exactly. know what I mean? They're, they're 14, 15-footers, and they're gripping 14. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why can't you be more efficient? Right. You know, it's like, like, like you're, we were, you're gripping the same. You're like, you're both Olympic athletes. Why is she so much better? Right off the ground. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's again, going back to the mid chart, you can use it as a reference point. And look, if, if you have a girl that's gripping 14 and she's not jumping at least 15, mm-hmm. you know, you got to work efficiency exactly. or guy. If you have a guy gripping 14, he's not jumping 15. You got to work efficiency. Whether I mean, it's heck, a just or a off the top of my head. I've had guys grip 13-9, jump 15-9. I've had guys grip 14, jump 15-9. So we were way ahead of the chart. Right. That's where we knew we had to work on the run and takeoff, you know. 
I don't think enough people are doing that. And again, I don't think, I don't think enough of the pole vault community respects skill. Yeah. Skill is so huge. I mean, Rob, I use you as an example at the club all the time because you are so efficient. You are so skillful on the pole that a lot of times I take more athletic guys and I pit them against you in practice because it's like, you have to beat Rob. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can't beat Rob, that's a problem. You You know? flatter me. Well, I mean, on one hand, I do. And on the other <laughs> hand, you know, basically what I'm saying to those guys, like, you're faster. Yeah. You, ha- you have to get more skillful, you yeah. know. Um, but, you know, I think that's the problem with pole vault because I think at the end of the day, ev- again, everybody's so outcome-oriented and yeah. all they consider is the PR. Right. And they don't think about how that person got there. Exactly. And they're not weighing, you know, well, is this a stud and – you know, is this person, this other person should, should a little this, bit more skill, Should skillful? this person be doing better than what they are? They kind of just look at the PR and like, oh, that's good. Right, right. And so, I mean, that that that's sometimes for me uh, something that's frustrating because I think a lot of times too, it's like, look, I think it's disingenuous for someone to just watch, let's say, an 18-foot guy jump and talk about the pole bend. And meanwhile, the athlete we're trying to coach is a, a little girl in high school who's trying to clear eight for the first yeah, time. Yeah, and I, you know? I've, I've like I've brought that up with other like coaches, like, and they've been like, some some coaches are even like, well, you have to coach differently for them. And I'm like, why? Why why can't we keep the same system that's work? Like, why why is something that works for me doesn't work for them? Right. I mean, look, do people have strengths and weaknesses? Like you're sure. always going to be a guy that's probably more efficient on the pole right. than, than, than someone who's your speed. equal mm-hmm. speed wise. But and some guy has to rely on speed. But then here's the thing. Everyone has their component of the vault that they need to be working on to actually improve overall. Yeah. So it's like it's all the same thing. It's just what area do you have to work on to improve? Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think it's a fallacy when people are like, wow, you know, like you're, you're, this is a big, strong guy. You just got to get him to bend the pole more. And then that's it. no, because even that guy can move the pole better, be more efficient, you know, and going back to like drills, you know, you have to pick out the drills that will address those weaknesses. Exactly. Like if, if someone can't jump up, I hate to break it to everybody, but you can't run seven left approaches and expect someone to correct their takeoff and they, and they don't know how to jump up. Not yeah. from a seven. You're just trying to get into the pit at that point. Exactly. You have to actually get off the runway, learn how to jump up without a pole in your hand, mm-hmm. then incorporate the pole, then try to incorporate it in an actual pole vault exactly. scenario. Start, start small and then big, build. Right, right. And I feel like people just want, again, they want to give lip service, you know? I mean, how, how often do you find, you know, whether it's your team or other teams mm-hmm. that you come across, how often are they drilling and how, versus how often are they just going from a long approach? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I've had coaches where they've been like, they say they've been like all full approaches almost every other day to every day. Yeah. And it's like, or I'll hear like coaches say like, oh, you just gotta like pull more or get through the, or like push more or get through the middle more. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and like the, the uh, athlete will like nod their head and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and like they, they know that they have to do that, but do they know how they're supposed to do that? Well, right, right. But uh, again, going back to the question, like mm-hmm. in, in your, you know, just 
and again, this is not like we didn't do a survey, we didn't like look at every high school in America, but just in your experience, how many people are spending t- time, what's the time frame drills versus full approach? I mean, if you had to give it a number or a percentage, you know, how, how much drill time versus how much full approach time? Full approach, uh, for our specific high school, would probably be about like 80% of the time is full approach. Right. And to me, that's, that's crazy. And that's also wasteful, I feel like, at some point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel a couple things. One, like I was saying before, if someone isn't jumping up well, you can't correct that from a full approach. You know, yeah. you have to do drills off the runway. You have to do short approaches, mm-hmm. you know, like ones, twos, threes, fours, you know. Mm-hmm. And then even as as an athlete, I think, becomes more and more experienced and more and more skilled – they don't have to do full approaches that often in practice. I think they have to do that more at meets and save that yeah, for meets. Exactly. You know, so the especially so that they kind of don't get tired. It's almost it almost becomes a a tired thing at that point if you're doing full approach every other day for well for like a two week span. Well, and, and I guess to be a little bit more specific, I mean, one, if you're doing full approach, you can really drain someone's central nervous system. That's mm-hmm. number one. But number two, the, the other issue that you run into is that, uh, you plateau, right? If, right. if you do more than six sessions of something, I mean, so many different strength conditioning programs, so many different trainers, they don't advise going more than two, three weeks at a certain exercise or training program. Mm-hmm. Because then you will plateau. Your 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 body no longer is receiving stress. Mm-hmm. It's not adapting anymore. And then so you'll plateau and you'll actually start to get worse. Exactly. So if you do seven, 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 sevens all the time, you're actually – that's it. You flatline, you get worse. Yeah. You know, um, again, it's just a, another one of those issues. It's like instead you can rotate through one, two, three, four, five, six lefts all the time, just keep rotating through that throughout the season right. and incorporating different drills with that. Exactly. I mean, we, we've even done like straight pull drills from threes and fours mm-hmm. and different variations of them. Exactly. You know, you, you have to see what fits your athlete you know? right, and what will make them better. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just to me, I think people need to start to be a little bit more open minded. And I think the other thing that starts to become really, really important in the pole vault, I think the pole vault community has to be more open and we have to answer more people's questions. And if we don't have an answer, maybe there's a problem. Right. Maybe, maybe like we should find an answer. To, right. To the question. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, look, I've even been to, to pole vault conferences where athletes have asked certain questions, you know, like, well, you know, with this drill, when do you do that when you vault? And they're like, well, it's different. What does that mean? Yeah. That's, that's vague. You know, specifically going back to that rope drill, I, I remember mm-hmm. someone uh, demonstrating a rope drill at a, at a convention, at the Akron Povil Convention, mm-hmm. and they were like, you got to really pull yourself upside down. And so an athlete then asked the coach who was presenting, well, when do you pull in the pole vault then? Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's different. Why? Well, that's a problem then. Like, yeah. wh- one, I don't think it's so different. That's number one. Yeah. But number two, if that's really what you believe, why would you do a drill and do something that you don't do in the vault? 
Yeah, what, you yeah, know, it's almost what would like be the purpose? Yeah, what's the point of doing that rope drill if that's not what you're right. spo- if that's not training anything? Right, right. So it, it's just very interesting to me. I think people need to start to open up and really, really think about some of these things because I, I think a lot of us are just taking for granted. You know, if someone jumps high, oh my god, they must have all the answers, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. Right. You know what I mean? Again, we're kind of talking in big generalizations. Uh-huh. I mean, I think, for example, like uh, I'll use Katarina Stefanidi as an example. I think she she was awesome. We had her on the podcast. She was so informative. She de- her her and her coach definitely have a system uh, that works very very smoothly, mm-hmm. but. For the most part, regardless of what level, there just seems to be a lot of stuff that's just haphazard. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, again, they're focusing on outcome-oriented things. Like, right. oh, I want to get on that next pole. Well, you get on that next pole if you perform better technique. Yeah, you know? Or, get, or faster. get faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, that's how you get on that next pole. So instead of being so outcome-oriented, focus on the things that you need to do to do that. Yeah, you know? become cause-oriented. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like, you know, things like the mid-chart. You know, there are things out here like the mid-chart. Use those information sources. Yeah, they're not, again, they're not going to bite you. They're not going to, they're not here to hurt you. They're They're here to help coaches or athletes yeah and the thing is the more you use stuff like the mid chart i mean it just again it gives you more da- data points so that you can reference you know are we going in the right direction are we going in a bad direction mm-hmm. um you know so those are some things that you know i i think about with, with the vault you know um and i i guess the last thing i would say is like People need to look at those numbers. They need to look at efficiency and, and such because if if not, you don't really know if you're going in the right direction. I mean, an example that I'll give is I, I've seen stuff where, you know, you have a kid, you know, maybe gripping 11, jump 11. Mm-hmm. It's an 8-inch push. Yeah, that's now they bad. grip 12. And they, jump. and they PR and they jump 11.6, but they don't realize the efficiency went down. Right. And, and then what happens when they grip 12.6 or 13, you know, they're still now. They're jumping 11.6, 11.8. Right, right. So, you know, those numbers and those data points are so, so huge because I've seen too many vaulters who, you know, kind of plateaued and then they fell out of favor with the sport, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, the other the other thing that I wanted to bring up, too, I guess this will be the final point, and, and Rob, you can chime in on this, but mm-hmm. you know, I think everybody loves professional pole vaulters, and, and I do too, don't get yeah. me wrong, but there's a lot more 12-6 and under guys and yeah, a lot exactly. more 10-foot and under girls that really are passionate about the sport. I mean, part of the reason I had Rob on the podcast and, you know, Rob, again, you can, you're going <laughs> to finish this off, but like... You really love the vault. You're so, oh, yeah. so interested. You constantly text me and DM me stuff that you see online with, you know, pole vaulters and, you know, you really love the event. And it's like, that's the sport right there. To yeah. me, that's more important than even any professional vaulter because you guys are the ones that really love this sport and that's why there's a need for more coaches out there and more facilities because there's people that really, really enjoy this sport and it's not just all about the top-notch people. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people like you out there that need help, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And 
look, like like we had Hayden on. Mm-hmm. Hayden's in Louisiana. He's in a situation where not a lot of coaches, you know, that's why he reached out to us. Mm-hmm. You know, more people need to be open and trying to help people out. Yeah. You know? it Well, compare it to, like, another sport, like football, for example. Like, obviously, you have the top tier, the NFL, and then you have, yeah. like, the college football, and that's, like, college pole vault also. Right. But then you have a lot of, you know, the peewees, the, like, the... Sure. Un- yeah, the under guys that are trying to, you know, get better, that are still passionate about the sport, and maybe even more so than... Right. I mean, you, you, have, you have adults that are playing in flag football leagues, or even mm-hmm. if you compare it to golf, you know, people are getting golf lessons all the time, regardless yeah. of whether they're going to be professional or not. Exactly. They just enjoy the sport, and... You know, this is where I think it, it becomes super, super important. And I think if people can't help, you know, like the nine foot girl get better, that's a problem because she yeah. stops doing the sport. Right. You know, I, I, I don't like seeing people walk away from the sport. You know, I want people to do this as long as they can, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of whether or not you know, they're competing at the next level. Yeah. And that goes, and that goes back to having a good system and making sure that it fits everyone. You know, it, it'll fit the nine foot girl and it'll also fit the 17 plus post collegiate guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's about it. Um, plus I feel like we both have got to go. So we got to end this, but, um, Rob, thanks again for being on the podcast. Anytime.